Today we're continuing our series called The World of Work, and I found some rather humorous stories. They're true stories from a magazine called Reader's Digest. How many of you are familiar with Reader's Digest? There's a section called um, All in a Day's Work. Here are a couple of stories. Here's the first. One of our interns asked another intern if she was planning on signing up for the company's 401k. I'm considering it, replied the second intern. Later, the intern approached me looking concerned. I did the math, she said, and a 401k is almost 250 miles. She'll never make it. Might take a while for some of you to... Okay, here's another. I was leaving work and was alone in an elevator when a girl stepped in with a phone pressed to her ear. I have to go, she told the person on the other end. There's a cute guy standing here. Before I could react, she turned to me and said, sorry for lying, I just wanted to end that conversation. (laughs) Work can be a tough place, no doubt. Today we're continuing this series about the world of work, and last week we saw that work is actually a good thing. Work is a blessing from God, not a curse. And we looked at several reasons why we work, and some of these may sound familiar since you just heard them seven days ago, but here are some reasons. We work because we're made in God's image. God is always at work. And so we work because we're made in his image. Um, We work to partner with God in caring for his creation. We work to provide for our families. We work to share something with those in need. We work to extend God's kingdom. And we talked about this a lot last week, that as children of the king, as agents and representatives of the king, that God has deployed his people in the arts and sciences and business and education and medicine and politics and we're agents of change as we reclaim and transform the culture, as we build a kingdom together. And we saw this. Um, what would it look like to actually go through your whole workday realizing that you work with the king and for the king? This perspective that Jesus is really your undercover boss. And we talked about how you would begin the day. And who remembers how Jesus began his day? What did he do? He prayed. And so we can do the same thing. We can pray and say, God, I... I want you to make me effective and successful in the work that you're giving me to do. Another thing we talked about is if you're going to go through your workday like Jesus would, you would look for ways to serve people. You would learn from difficult people. Some of you that were here last week may remember that I told you there's a phrase you can say to yourself when you see a difficult person or a difficult conversation. You can say, here's my chance to learn how to argue, how to complain, how to what, who knows. Yeah, how to love, because that's what Jesus would do if he were standing in our place. He would love people, and we need to do that too. We talked about this as well, that you are not your job, that our identity is not in our job, it's not in the relationships of those even closest to us, but God wants our identity to be where? To be in Christ, because that's an identity you can never lose. And then we talked about this, at the end of the day, when you look at all those little boxes that didn't get checked off, instead of feeling frustrated, You can take a step back and try to figure out, hey, what was good about today? You know, what was accomplished? How did God use me to make a difference? Because that's what God himself does. As you read the story of creation, God steps away and says, hey, that's good. And we can do the same thing. Now, even though work is a good thing, it's possible to get too much of a good thing. And I told you last week that today we were going to focus on people who work too much and need to find ways to rest and balance their schedule. And so today's message is called God's Wisdom for Workaholics. But realize this, the work that we're talking about this morning is not just the work that happens in a classroom, in an office, in a boardroom, on a construction site. You may be somebody 
who works out of your house. You may be somebody who is a, a stay-at-home mom or dad, and so you really know what the world of work is all about. And let me say this, this may be a message that you yourself need to hear because you're having trouble establishing some boundaries between how much you work and how much you rest. Or it could be a message that somebody you know needs to hear. Maybe that somebody is sitting next to you this morning, so just keep your eyes straight up here. Don't look at them, okay? Um, it, It could be this, too, because I realize that we're all in different situations when it comes to the world of work. Um, I talked to several people just a few moments ago who told me that they are retired. And maybe you just retired. Maybe you're disabled. Maybe you're between jobs. Whatever it happens to be, realize this. These are principles that really apply to all of us. And let me say this, church. This is a message that I need to hear myself on a regular basis. So are you ready? We're going to talk about the world of work this morning. Let me start with this. There was an article in the Chicago Tribune, and it pointed out that Americans don't value rest and relaxation as much as other people in certain parts of the world. For example, in Europe, the standard time off for annual vacations is about six weeks. In France, the whole country basically shuts down for the entire month of August, and everybody either heads to the beach or to the mountains. How would you like to do that? For a whole month? And how about this? The number of public holidays in the U.S. is seven, and Europe It's 11. Now, the only industrialized nation in the world where people take less time off than the U.S. is Japan. And Japan has a serious health issue. It's called Kuroshi, which is death by overwork. Now, when it comes to the world of work, there are really two extremes. Because on one hand, you might have the lazy person who is, well, you might say they're allergic to work, and they rarely get anything done. And here's what the Bible says about that. It says this. If a man is lazy, the rafters sag. If his hands are idle, the house leaks. Now, on the other hand, you have the person who is addicted to work. Um, This is somebody who works all the time. They rarely take any time off. This is the the person who has a sign on their desk, and it says, TGIM. Thank God it's Monday, and I can come back to work because I missed it so much. In the Bible, King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, says this. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Now, today I want to look at some important principles from the Bible regarding work and rest that are really intended to bring more balance to our lives, and here is the first. It's very direct. Take time off. Take time off. In order to break the the grip of workaholism, you have to take time off. You have to limit your labor. And this has to be an intentional choice. Look at this next verse. Again, this is from the pen of King Solomon, who at times could be rather blunt. This is one translation. It says this, only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. Now, can you be addicted to work? What do you think? Well, yeah, sure. There are people who have a very hard time disengaging from their work. I find it hard at times to disengage from the work that God calls me to do. But I know this, that God, for our own good, tells us, hey, take some time off. Because God says this in the Bible. He says, you have six days in which to do your work. But the seventh day is to be a day of rest dedicated to me. 
You see, God thought rest was so important, he included it in his top 10 list. It's one of the 10 commandments because God never designed us to be constantly working. There was a story about the French Revolution. The government abolished Sunday as a day off because they wanted the, the country to be more productive. And in just a few years, they had to reinstate it because the health of the nation was crumbling. We weren't made to work all the time. I know a, a pastor who was talking to another pastor, and he uh, was bragging, actually. He said, you know, I never take a day off because the devil never takes a day off. And his fellow pastor said, well, since when is the devil your model for ministry? See, when you think about that question, why should we rest? Why should we take time off? The simple answer is, well, because God does. And anything God does is by definition a good thing. And, and people wouldn't say, well, God, you're lazy, or God, you're being unproductive, because God is neither. And yet God himself takes a rest. He takes a break. Jesus modeled that for us as well. And if you think about the creation story, it says in Genesis chapter 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Now, why does the Bible tell us this? And here's the answer. This is such an important principle because the balance of work and rest that we see in God's creative activity is intended to be a model for us. Let me say that again. The balance of work and rest that we see in God's creative activity is intended to be a model for us. See, a lifestyle of uninterrupted labor day after day is not good for us, nor does it please God. Now, let me ask you this. Those of you who are parents, is it easy to get your kids to go to bed at night, or do they resist you? What's the answer? Well, often they resist, right? They stall, they complain, they come up with a million things they'd rather do. Now, why do kids do that? Why do kids resist resting even though they're tired? Because they're immature. Do you see the connection? Resistance to rest is not a sign of maturity. It's a sign of immaturity. And the fact is that if we don't take time to rest, our bodies will make time to rest. I think about the 23rd Psalm where King David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And I, I've been through experiences in my own life where I feel like God has made me lie down because I was being resistant to rest. And here's the principle. We need to take time off because there are some really important things that we need to fit into our schedule. Now, let me give you three that start with the letter R. You might want to write these down. One is rest. We talked about that. The other is recreation. We need to make time for recreation, for doing some things we enjoy that are just fun. And we need time for relationships. And guys, especially guys that are married, let me give you a fourth. Starts with the letter R. And if you're next to your wife, she's going to make sure you write this down because that R is romance. You have to make time for romance. Otherwise, it's going to get neglected. It's going to be pushed right out of your schedule. There was a story that I read this week. It was about Douglas MacArthur II. He was a nephew of the famous war general, and he worked in the State Department. His boss was a guy named John Dulles, and one night his boss called his home looking for him, and MacArthur's wife answered the phone, and she was really ticked off when um, the guy said, you know, where's MacArthur? And she said this, MacArthur's where MacArthur always is, weekdays, Saturdays, Sundays, holidays, nights. He's in that office. And so MacArthur's boss called him up and said, son, you better, uh, you better get home because you're home front is crumbling. We need time for relationships. We need time for rest and recreation and romance. 
So the first principle is what? What is it? Tell me what it is. Take time off. The second is this. Re-examine your values. Re-examine your values. In order to break the grip of workaholism, we need to ask a very important question. Are you ready? Why am I working too much? Why am I working too much? Because see, you can work hard. Did Jesus work hard? He absolutely worked hard. In fact, he said at the end of his life, God, I thank you. I've completed all the work you gave me to do. There's nothing wrong with working hard, but can you work too much? Yeah, your life can be completely out of balance. Solomon gives us this insight into why some people work too much. And he says this, And I saw that all labor and all achievements spring from a man's envy of his neighbor. Is it possible to work too much because you want what your neighbor has? Yeah, it's possible. You've got to have the latest, greatest gadgets because your neighbor has them, right? It's like the man who said, It's so hard to keep up with my neighbor and it's just not fair. Every time I get close to catching up, he goes out and refinances. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8. He said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? And Jesus is really asking the question, you know, what are you working too much for? Why? And here's here's the thing. The answer is not always the same because sometimes people work too much because they're afraid. Sometimes they're trying to live up to expectations. Sometimes... They just feel that it's an absolute necessity. Listen to this quote from Pastor Alan Perkins about one of the causes of workaholism. He says, a workaholic is someone who is addicted to work not because he enjoys it, but because it's the thing that gives him a sense of worth. But that's a pathology, a sickness. It's not true. We have great worth. Regardless of how much or how little we accomplish, we have value because God is our Father and because in Christ we are His children. You know, there's this, this thing called the American dream that we just have to be acquiring more and more stuff. We live in a very materialistic culture. We know that. And there is this thing called the ladder of success. And I think we're all familiar with that, with that term. And so, so often people are saying, I just got to reach for the next rung on this ladder of success because I'm not going to be content until I get there. But here's the, here's the reality. What if you ask the person who's ahead of you on the ladder of success, who's already at the next rung, and say, hey, are you content with what you have? Well, no, I'm going for the next rung. And then you get to that next rung, and it's the next one after that. And here's something really important. This is a, a quote from G.K. Chesterton. He said this, there are two ways to get enough, to accumulate more and more or to desire less and less. And the fact is that no matter how much you accumulate, you can't take it with you. And Solomon certainly points that out. He says this, Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. And that's why you never see a U-Haul following a hearse. Right? You can't take it with you. And listen, if you're, especially if you're a guy and you're working really hard, and somebody were to say, well, why are you working so hard? Why are you working so much? And you say, I'm doing it for my kids. Here's the question. Well, what, what means more to your kids? The stuff that you can buy them? Or you? Here's another principle to bring balance to your lives. Number three, use your time wisely. Use your time wisely. This is what the Bible says, and we looked at this a few weeks ago. Teach us to make the most of our time so that we may grow 
in wisdom. Now, I want to show you something that I saw done a number of years ago, and it made an impression on me, and I wanted to just show it to you as well. It's an object lesson, and it has to do with your life and your schedule. Let's say this container is your life. This is your schedule, and you can see what's in it already, right? What are these? What do you think that is? Yeah, these are big rocks. Now, the big rocks would symbolize the things in your life that are really important, and they take a lot of time and energy. So this, this container is, is fairly full, but do you think I can fit any more big rocks in there? Oh, man. Well, probably a couple more. So let me try to do that. Okay, I have a few more rocks that I can fit in because it's not completely full. Is it full now? What do you think? Well, no, it's really not because I have some smaller rocks over here, and I can certainly fit these in my schedule if I try really hard, right? So let's pour some other rocks in there. Okay. All right. Is it full now? Who says no? Okay, you're right. It's not full because I have a jar of sand. And I can put some more sand into my schedule, right? Some other stuff. So let's pour some sand in there. Whoa. Man, I'm getting tired already because my schedule is so full. All right. Is it completely full now? If you don't think so, raise your hand. You're right, because there's, there's something else I can put in my schedule. Um, yeah, water. Yeah, we put some water in there, right, and make a giant mess like I did first service. All right. Yeah. Oh, man. All right, here's the, here's the question. Is it full now? Yeah, it's pretty full. But what is the point of this illustration? Is this the point? If you try really, really hard, you can always squeeze something else into your schedule. Do you think that's what I'm trying to demonstrate here? No. Here's the, uh, the big point. Man, if you don't put the big rocks in first, you're never going to be able to fit them back in. Now, what are the big rocks? Time with God. Time with your spouse. Time with your kids. Listen, church, if you don't put the big rocks in first, Boy, it's going to be hard to get them in at all. Here's another important principle for those who work too much. Number four, stop and enjoy life when? Yeah, right now. Stop and enjoy life now. Solomon writes this. He says, I know that there is nothing better for men and women than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. And notice this phrase, this is the gift of God. This is the gift of God. A few weeks ago, I was at Moe's. Anybody ever eat at Moe's? I like to eat at Moe's, and so does my wife. So we went into Moe's, and we're going through the line, ordering our food, and I see this person with a Moe's T-shirt, and the T-shirt says, this is your life. Live in this moment. So I started thinking, you know, that's a, that's a great T-shirt. I like that. This is your life, live in this moment. So we get our food, we sit down at the table to eat, and I just kept looking back over and seeing this guy's t-shirt and thinking about that. This is your life, live in this moment. And I thought, you know, I need to learn to do that more. Because so often what I'm doing is I'm in this moment, but I'm thinking about the next moment. I'm thinking about the next thing on my to-do list. I'm looking right through the present into the future. And I'm missing the things that God wants me to enjoy right now. And it was really remarkable because my wife, Chris, is talking to me, and instead of just kind of 
partially listening and maybe thinking about something else, trying to multitask, I decided, hey, this is my life, live in this moment. So I just fully engaged and I listened to what she was saying to me and it was delightful. And we had this great conversation. I actually enjoyed my lunch more that day than I have in a long time. Because, hey, this is my lunch. I'm going to live in this moment. And so I, I get in the car and I drive home and I can't get this thought out of my head. This is your life. Live in this moment. And so I have an office at home where I do a lot of my, my message preparation. And so I, I have this cork board and I put certain things on it and I typed out that phrase, this is your life. Live in this moment. And I remember it was last Sunday. I was here in church. I was sitting right over there. And we were worshiping. And sometimes, to be completely candid, we're worshiping and I'm thinking about what I need to say in my message. And I'm not really fully engaged in the song. And it was like God tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, this is your life. Live in this moment. Worship me in this moment. Fully engage your head and your heart. And what I'm calling you to do. And church, I'm convinced that's how God wants us to live. And think about it. Right now, this very moment is our life, isn't it? And we can engage. And I hope that you are. I hope that you're really engaging with your head and your heart. And, and I can enjoy this moment because this moment's not going to come again. And think about this. Have you ever heard somebody say this? Well, I'm going to start enjoying life when things settle down. Ever say that to yourself? Or how about this? I'm going to start enjoying life when the Kids go off to school, or I'm going to, you know, enjoy life when I finally retire, when I get that job, or when I get that car, or when I get that house, or whatever it happens to be. But here's the problem. If you don't know how to enjoy life now, what makes you think you're going to know how to enjoy life then? And here's kind of the kicker. Why should you enjoy life right now in this moment? Why should you enjoy life today? And here's the answer because you're not guaranteed a tomorrow. We're not guaranteed a tomorrow. So, one of the things that we can do to limit our labor is to stop and enjoy life right now. Well, here's another, and this is actually the last principle. And if you look at the first letter of each of the principles, you'll know the answer to the last one because it's trust God to provide. Trust God to provide. A lot of the tendency to work too much is often rooted in worry because we worry if I don't work more and more and more I won't have enough stuff and the thought is this if I just have enough stuff if my pile of stuff is big enough I'm going to be secure so I'm going to keep working really really hard so I can get a bigger bigger pile of stuff but here's the fallacy in that no matter how big your pile of stuff there's a bigger catastrophe that can take all your stuff away isn't that true and so God says, look, don't put your security and your significance in your stuff. Put your security and your significance where? In me. In a relationship with my son Jesus. And Jesus himself talked a lot about worry and he said, don't do it. Don't worry. Why? Well, Jesus would say, because you have a father in heaven and he knows everything that you need. In fact, Jesus talked about our priorities in life. And this is a, a paraphrase. Um, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, a right relationship with God, and he will give you everything that is necessary to accomplish his purpose for your life. And that really is the thought behind our verse of the week. Inside your, your bulletin is a little card, a verse card, 
and we put those there every week. I hope that you'll take those home. Maybe you can put that on your mirror or your dashboard or leave them around town. I've seen them in, in different places and I've been so encouraged by that. But look at that card. It says this, and my God will meet how many of your needs? What does it say, church? All of your needs, your physical needs, your emotional needs, your, your spiritual needs, your, your financial needs. My God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now here's something to think about. Do you know why God told people in the Old Testament to take a day off? Well, I think there were two important reasons. One was this, it's good for your body, obviously. You'll just wear yourself out if you don't. But the second has to do with your heart. And here's the reason. God told people to take a day off because he wanted them to prove that they really trusted him to provide everything they needed. You see, you could work seven days a week, right? Trying to make sure you had enough food and clothing and shelter and all those things. God says, don't do that. Trust me, take that day off and rest and worship me, believing that I'm gonna come through. And this is why, if you look at the Old Testament and you see these, these laws about the Sabbath and you, and you think about the penalties and they're really severe, why was God so ticked off when people broke the Sabbath? And here's why, because it was a flagrant distrust of God they were displaying. And here's something else to consider. The Sabbath rest that we read about in the Old Testament is actually a foreshadowing of the rest that we can find in Christ. It's a spiritual rest for our souls. Remember what Jesus said, come to me when you're weary and burdened and you will find what? Rest for your soul. But let, let me put it this way. How much work do you have to do to become a Christian? How many good deeds do you need to do to be adopted into God's family? What's the answer? Yeah, zero, not a zippo, nothing. Now, why is that the case? Because somebody else has done all the work necessary for you to be accepted by God. And who is that person, church? Good, I didn't even have to tell you that if you don't know the answer, it's gonna be Jesus, and it is. And the question is, what is the work that Jesus did? Well, I guess the, the easiest way for me to think about that is a rescue mission, because that's what happens. God the Father sends God the Son to earth on a rescue mission. That's his work. That's his job description. And the question, well, why do we need to be rescued? And the answer is because we have a heart problem. We're born with this heart that pulls us away from God and his purpose and his plan. We're focused on ourselves and what we want instead of what God wants and what God says and how he tells us to live. And there's a word for that, and the word is sin. Our sin separates us from God. And because God is holy and just, he has to punish our sin. And we know that punishment is to die and to be separated from God for how long? Forever. And that's the bad news. What's the good news? Jesus is coming on a rescue mission. He is going to accomplish all the work that his father has given him to do, and that work was to live a perfect life, because we couldn't. And so Jesus is now uniquely qualified to exchange his life for ours, and that's what happens on the cross. Do you realize that? That on the cross, there's this great exchange that is made possible. God takes our sin and puts it on Jesus and punishes him in our place. And when you have faith in Christ, his perfect life is credited to you. That's what happens when you become a Christian. God looks at you as if you'd never sinned because your sin's been paid for at the cross. And so Jesus dies and then what happens? He comes to life. He comes to life and he offers us a new life. And this new life from beginning to end is by faith. Because how do you become a Christian? By faith, by trusting Jesus, right? And if you wanna grow as a Christian, what do you need to do? You need to learn how to trust him, how much? 
more and more and more, and the goal is to trust him completely, no matter what's going on in your life. But here's a really important question. Why should you do that? Really? You know, I know right now that there are people in our church family that are going through some really, really difficult things. And the question is, can I trust God through this? I mean, can I really trust him? And for me, the answer is so profound and so clear and so powerful. In fact, I want to show you a verse of scripture that I think is the most powerful answer to the question, can I trust God completely? And what's fascinating is not an answer as you would expect, it's a question. Sort of what Jesus did often. People would ask him a question, he would just answer with a question. But notice this question that the Apostle Paul poses. He, speaking of God, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now who's this talking about? About Jesus. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And friends, this is the undeniable logic of the gospel. If God met the greatest need that you and I have, which is our need for a savior, don't you think that you can trust him to meet every other need in your life as well? And that's the logic here. And, and here's what I want you to see, church. This is, this is so very important, and I, I talk about it a lot, that we want to be a gospel-centered church. And that means that we live out of the center of the gospel, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is connected to every facet of our lives, and that includes the world of work. And here's what I mean. There are some people who, who work too much because they feel like they have something to prove. Maybe they have something to prove to themselves or to prove to somebody else. There are people who, who work too much because they have something to hide. Maybe they're hiding their insecurity or their sense of inferiority. There are people who, who work too much because they're afraid. They're afraid that they won't have enough money. They're afraid of failure. But here's what we need to remember. Remember, the gospel says, the gospel says that when you're a Christian, you have nothing to prove because Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be accepted by God. The gospel says when you're a Christian, you have nothing absolutely nothing to hide. Why? Because Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be forgiven. And the gospel says this, that you have nothing to fear. Why? Because in Christ, you are eternally loved. Imagine that. Nothing to prove, nothing to hide, nothing to fear. What a great way to work. What a great way to live. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the gospel that changes everything, God, that changes our hearts, that changes the way that we think, the way that we live, the way that we work, the way that we relate to you and to each other. God, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, we know this, that for many people, there are so many challenges when it comes to this world of work. God, I pray for those who are entering this phase of retirement and they're not sure what's next, God, I pray that you will show them if they don't know what your new assignment is. God, for those who are between jobs, that you would provide a job for them. Lord, a good job, the right job, one that fits them well. God, for those that are going through struggles at work, I pray that you would give them your grace and your patience, Lord, for those who are in positions of influence, and we all are, that we would use that influence to extend your kingdom by the way that we live our lives. And God, I guess most of all, I pray this for us, 
that we would learn to trust you more. Father, the truth is that we live out of our sense of identity and we are not our job. God, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we belong to you. We're a child of the King. We're co-heirs with Christ and I pray that that would form our identity. Lord, that we would know above all else that we are redeemed. That you think we're worth dying for. And that would be the person that we see in the mirror. Someone for whom Christ died. And Father, today, if there's somebody here who's never made that commitment to Jesus, I pray that today would be that day. That they would step across this line of faith and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. No doubt about that. I've messed up a lot of stuff in my life. And I want that to, to be something that, that you change about me. Because I believe that you died and you came back to life and you want me to have a new life. So Jesus, I'm just going to follow you. I don't know all of what this means, but I just want to do it because I know you want me to, and I want to do, Jesus, what you're calling me to do. And Lord, for all of us, I pray that as we end this service, that that phrase would ring in our minds, this is your life, live in this moment. And God, even as we sing this last song, that we would engage, that we would give our praise and our thanks to you, because we are your people. We're not who we used to be. We're the people you're making us to become because of Christ. And God, for that we praise you. In Jesus' name.